Hello again, Night fans. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you once again for, well, I, I guess this is kind of sort of another emergency podcast, but it's really going to be more like our regular podcast, except a little mm-hmm. bit shorter. Hopefully you've listened to our first emergency podcast, which we unleashed uh, on Monday night, uh, having to do as a preview of the men's basketball game against uh, in the NIT against Colorado. We're going to talk about the women's basketball team that... When we released the podcast last night, we didn't know who they were playing. Now we know, and we're going to talk about that. We're also going to wrap up some baseball and some uh, softball while we're at it here as well. Uh, Eric Lopez is with me. What's going on, Eric? I like to call it a night after dark edition. You know, it's <laughs> night after dark. We're just kind of behind the scene, you know, late night with the night. You know, it's Good kind time. of a, it's a, it's a lot of late night news that we jump. We got to jump into. All right, so it's a busy time of year. So if you want to catch up with us, make sure you do so uh, by subscribing to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Uh, don't forget to follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. You can also follow us at UCF underscore banneret on Twitter, also on Facebook. Just search for Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, we're also on Google Plus, and you can look me up at Jeff underscore Sharon on Twitter, and you can look Eric up at Eric Lopez Elo. All right, Eric, let's dive in. We talked about the men's basketball team yesterday in that first emergency podcast. Now let's talk about the women's team where literally it felt like minutes after we released this podcast. Of course, they released who the opponent are, who the opponent is, <laughs> and it's going to be Stetson. I believe I had that one. Yeah, you did have that one, and congratulations to you. Lynn Bria's Stetson Hatters, uh, the former UCF head coach who was the coach at UCF prior to Gail Striegler, if I'm not mistaken. Um, is now the ninety nine. Yeah, yep, is now uh, the head coach at Stetson has been for uh, quite some time now. She started at Stetson in, uh, in from uh, in two thousand eight two thousand nine. Uh, she has won uh, or Stetson rather has won seven has won twenty games at least seven consecutive years under uh, under her tutelage. They've been to the. They've won two Atlantic Sun titles. Been to two NCAA's under her. This is their fourth WNIT. Uh, she set the school record for wins back in 2013-2014. Lynn Bria has set up a a, a pretty good program at Stetson. Um, something that we know about, you know, because she coached at UCF uh, for three years. Um, won a Sun Coach of the Year NCAA tournament in 1999 with UCF. So. Um, She's, boy, since coming over to Stetson from uh, Ohio, which is where she was at, where she, which is where she went after UCF, this is a pretty good Stetson team, isn't it? Oh, it really is. I'm a, I'm a fan of her work. Obviously, they're coming off a disappointing loss, though, Jeff. They were at home hosting the ace so. championship game against Florida Gulf Coast. I know, you know, for people that haven't followed it, Stetson and Florida Gulf Coast has been going at it for years in the ace Sun. Uh, in the last, I would say, yeah. five years. Really, and since Florida FGCU Gulf- joined the A-Sun, they have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Florida Gulf Coast has kind of had their number. They would always win the regular season title, which are, as a result, they would host the conference tournament and win it. And that's been the and Stetson has been the runner up, if you will, the last you know handful of years. Well, this year Stetson went on a hot streak right at the end of the year and caught Florida Gulf Coast and actually beat Florida Gulf Coast in the last game of the regular season in Fort Myers to capture the regular season championship, the first one that she brought at Stetson. And so they finally got a chance to host 
the semifinals and the championship, and they hosted Florida Gulf Coast. They had, a, they had, I believe, a nine-point lead at one point in the fourth quarter and lost it, unfortunately. So a crushing loss. And the reason I bring that up is that's going to be the question to me about Stetson. Where are they mentally going to be going into the NIT mm-hmm. against UCF from the standpoint? That was a crushing loss. They were so close to their first. And you know that program pretty well. You've done uh, been around it a little bit as well. Yeah. And I've been. And, and I like Lynn. I, I've gotten a chance to know Lynn. And uh, she's a tremendous coach, tremendous person. I was very uh, – I was rooting for her to win that tournament. So I'm curious how the players are going to react. Now, the advantage is that, that that game was Sunday. So they would have had three days – kind of to get over it, if you will. But um, I do wonder what their mindset will be going into this game at UCF coming off such a tough loss, whereas for UCF, I mean, they're coming off a seven-win season last year. So the fact they're in postseason, they're ecstatic to play. And I think that's going to be the fascinating thing to look for. Plus, Stetson's a very up-tempo team, likes to shoot the three. That'll be a good challenge, a matchup uh, against UCF's defense. Uh, it's a very attractive game. Another interesting point, I think, um, you, you know, I think is kind of what you were getting to regarding UCF. You know, UCF's run in their conference tournament ended at the hands of UConn. Where, and I think if you, you know, if we gave everyone, you know, kind of sodium pentothal um, and asked them what they thought about that, they would probably tell you, yeah, we pretty much thought that that was going to happen. But you know what? Easy for us to get over it because we know UConn was a better team than us. And Stetson, I think, comes off, you know, like you said, bitter disappointment in the A-Sun Championship because they feel like they're better than Florida Gulf Coast and they and they lost and uh, and they lost at home. You even even more even more difficult to swallow from that perspective. So, um, yeah, I think UCF does have the advantage there. Obviously, the Knights have the extra advantage playing at home. I think what's interesting about this is that this game is being played on a Thursday. And um, and it, like you predicted, our friends at UCF are kind of scrambling to kind of get staffing set for this game because a lot of them are going to be split down at the Amway Center working those right. games for the NCAA tournament that night. So there's going to be a lot of Stetson folk who are going to be helping UCF out in terms okay. of hosting this game. Uh, and, and, and I think that does show, you know, when push comes to shove, these two schools do... Uh, work together and work together well. And it's a pretty tight-knit community, you know, especially when you talk to the communications staff. They all really know each other. Um, in fact, um, uh, 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 Dan, uh, who's the SID for UCF men's uh, basketball, he used to work at Stetson actually at a time when I was doing some work there too. And then he came over to UCF and that was really, and and and, and so we knew each other at that time. So, but uh, again, Lynn Brand Stetson coming to town against UCF. Um, th- this is going to be a good coaching test for her, don't you think, considering what you were just talking about, how, how, how this team gets ready? Oh, yeah, it'll be a challenge. If anybody can get them up, it'll be Lynn, but it'll be a big challenge. Uh, now, I know you've been talking to your sources about, you know, this far, as far as the Thursday night game situation. I was surprised, obviously, when they announced it Thursday. And I'm going to be completely honest. This will not be a popular opinion. I was disappointed. That they play, they put decided to play the the schedule it on Thursday night, uh, for because I actually was looking forward to seeing this game. I cannot go on Thursday night, and mm-hmm. there's going to be you know because I have obligations. I have to go, and I'm going to cover the NCAA tournament for the radio station Sports Talk 1080. So, uh, job comes first. Um, it's interesting to your point, and it makes sense. It's not an accident that UCF and Stetson are playing because 
as you mentioned, they work together. They're going to be working together as a staff in the NCAA tournament. They did two years ago. They did. I'm sure there are this year, and I'm sure they could help each other out with getting through the uh, women's basketball game on Thursday. Let me bring up a topic that we have brought up in a past podcast episode, though. Mm-hmm. And this is what I would like to have seen. And I don't know if you got an answer to this or even, you know, address, ask the question or not. And I'm wondering, why not? Could they have not have played the women's game before the men's game on Wednesday? Why couldn't we have done a doubleheader? Why not do a women's game at five, let's say, and do the men's at seven thirty? And I, because I think you would have had some fans that would have made it out there prior to the men's game. We've seen this in the past with doubleheaders. Hey, we'll come out, catch some of the women's game, and then go to the men's. Last year in the regular season, UCF played at Stetson, and they it was a doubleheader. They played the women's game first, right. And the men's game was following that. They both were on uh, ESPN3, if I remember correctly. And uh, I went to both. I covered those, those two games. It was a lot of fun. And I, I was hoping they would do something to that extent uh, once I knew that the men's were playing on Wednesday night. Was that ever a consideration? And, and what did you hear? I think that it probably was a consideration. And I think what um, – I think what – happened was actually it goes back to what you talked about about how the women's nit is not owned by the same organization that owns the men's nit which is basically a joint venture between espn and the ncaa now and because you have these two ownership groups that are essentially in competition for airtime that's what prevented that from happening the women's nit is like no we need to have this this game on a separate day to accommodate all of the things that we have to do. And so the and you know and so they said, "Okay, well, this is going to be tough, but we're going to have to pull it off somehow." So, um it'll be difficult, you know, for for UCF. I mean, it won't be easy, but I mean, they're going to do it. We all know that. We know that the folks who work at UCF are total professionals oh, yeah. in the arena and they're going to be able to pull off. I'm I agree with you. I'm kind of disappointed that it wasn't uh that it wasn't a doubleheader situation, but I I understand. It's it's not as though it's not as though there weren't people who were trying to make that happen. It's just that it was I think it was beyond anyone's control. Oh, and the problem too, Friday, as we've talked about in the you know previous podcast before, obviously Friday's a busy you know deal with you softball hosting number fourteen ranked Baylor. Mm-hmm. Baseball's hosting Jacksonville. So it's not like Friday is an easy uh, day either as far as to host that game on a Friday because you have a lot of stuff going on anyway. So, uh, it was interesting. Once the men got announced for Wednesday, you know, you knew that the women, that was going to be interesting. How are they going to be able to pull that off? And they they decided on Thursday. And it'll, it'll go over well. Oh, you're right. It'll go off well. It's just very difficult. And this is not a UCF issue. Again, this goes back to one of the many issues I think women's basketball has. And this is kind of an example. You're going to play your women's NIT game on Thursday on the opening day of the men's college basketball tournament. That's why, and that's why honestly, Jeff, the women's basketball across the the board doesn't get a lot of notice. Yeah, but I mean the other thing, the other part about that that's tough is that, you know, you're, um, there are only seven days in the week, you know. Um, oh no, I agree. I, I agree and with six you. of them are filled I, but, up but, with the NCAA tournament. When you consider the fact that the women's tournament and the men's tournament take place, they also overlap. So. Well, the thing that I would do, and maybe we'll get into it in a, in a future podcast, I think women's basketball needs to consider doing kind of what baseball and softball did. Baseball and softball you know, have enough separation. They separate themselves by a week. So, for example, and, and the way the seasons play out, 
uh, like for example, when the, uh, you know, the regionals are going on in softball, it's usually right around the last weekend of the baseball season. And then by the, and you know, this having been in Clearwater, uh, for the conference tournament, that's usually going around when the softball's in the super regional. So in other words, there's a bit of a week or two gap in their seasons. They're not literally going head to head every, Hey, you know, the, you know, the college world series and the men is going on at the same time as the women, they have their own block. And I think women's basketball needs to consider doing that, whether it means, starting their tournament earlier a week or two earlier than the men mm-hmm. or starting a week or two later than the men i think that needs to be addressed uh, across the board of the sport if they want to get more attention because if not as long as it's the way it's set up the men's is always going to get uh I, and that's obviously a more popular sport so it's going to get more notoriety and uh, you're always going to be going head to head and that's a tough that's a battle you can't win so that's the unfortunate thing about it. Because I, I do. I think this is a fantastic matchup. I think Stetson and UCF is a fantastic game. And I think, Jeff, under normal circumstances, I think they would draw a pretty good crowd. I, I think so, too. I think that the other thing, though, is that when you, when you think about like who's actually going to go to this game, I don't think that there's a lot of overlap in the Venn diagram between people who are going to attend the, the games at the Amway Center and people who are going to attend this game. No, that's a fair point. I mean, that's a fair point. The, the, the fan bases are completely different. You're absolutely right. Uh, people that go to the women's basketball, for the most part, are different than the people that go to a men's basketball game. Now, there's, but there's a few. There's a few that would go to both. I mean, I would be one of them in theory. True. You would be one of them. But, uh, <laughs> that's true. but, but, but you're right. The, the masses. But the numbers have proven that out, that obviously, let's be honest. I mean, the men's game will draw X amount, and only a certain amount of that will go to the women's game in basketball. There's definitely a bigger gap there as compared to, for example, baseball and softball, where there's a much closer number, where there's a lot of people that go to softball but go to baseball to say as well. So it, it is what it is. It's tough. Uh, but certainly, again, uh, the bottom line is it sets up an interesting game, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And, you know, for UCF, they're in the draw. You know, we haven't t- touched on that. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, if they were to win – they could be potentially playing Georgia Tech uh, over across the weekend in the women's NIT in the second round. Obviously, you got to get past Stetson. That won't be easy, but it's an interesting draw. Yeah, I'm looking at the draw uh, right now. Let's see. Where did, I, where did I actually see us a second ago? I thought we, uh, By the way, Georgia Tech, just like UCF, in the NIT in both the men's and the women, which is very interesting uh, on that. And uh, yeah, so what? It, it's it's very interesting. It's very interesting. What's in, what I find interesting? Yeah, you got now you you have on the other side of this bracket you have Georgia Tech and Jacksonville, another team from the A Sun. Yeah. yeah. Uh, winner of that game plays the winner of UCF and Stetson, and then the other four team pod matched up with UCF's pod is Middle Tennessee Moorhead State and Wake Forest at uh, uh, or rather at home against Bethune Cookman. This so, is kind of closer to yeah. a row of a region that you've talked about. You were a little surprised where so in a comparison, the men were like complete, you know, Colorado and Illinois State and UC Irvine. Like, yeah, Whoa. I, I can make an argument for, more- yeah, for the women. I can make an argument for a bunch of southern teams. Really, the, the furthest north yeah. team you have is Moorhead State, which is in Kentucky. Uh, right. Everybody else is pretty much a southern team where the, the men's on the seem kind of a little haphazard. I think the field's, you know. I mean, it is what it is. I think that if UCF gets hot, I mean, you know, there's no telling what could happen. It's I mean, the NIT is always a crapshoot anyway. Um, yeah. The championship game, by the way, is scheduled to be held on April the 1st at a campus site on CBS Sports Network. If you go to women's at womensnit.com, you'll find all the information. Just a couple quick notes that I wanted to get, uh, get out on Stetson. 
they have the second leading scorer in the Atlantic Sun in uh, Saunders, Brianti Saunders, who averaged uh, 16 points a game, uh, 37.2% from three-point range. He's an excellent shooter. Um, they have the leading rebounder in the conference in Sarah Sagerer, who averages 10.7 points and 8.9 rebounds uh, a game. Uh, and in addition, they also have... Uh, <clears throat> Brianna Bay, a forward, who uh, is also among one of the leaders. She's actually tops in the A-Sun in field goal percentage. She shoots 57% from the field, 12 points and 6 rebounds a game. So this is a very good Stetson team that, like I said, we're going to be playing. And, and also a pretty good um, deal for UCF. General admission to, for this game on Thursday night, tip-off at 7 p.m. in CFE Arena is going to be $7. Kids get in for $5. Students, free. Which is awesome. Um, tickets uh, for Thursday again for Thursday night. Um, and you know, one last note I wanted to bring up. You know, UCF coming in. Um, you, let, let's give Stetson their due. Like we said, twenty six and six record, thirteen. Really good team. Really good, good team. Good team to watch. I've watched them. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. Coach Bria and company. And you know, she's got a lot of friends within and, the UCF community. Yeah, and she's, she's got a five, she just picked up a five year extension yep. uh, last summer. So she's locked up at Stetson until 2021. But, uh, you know, at the same token, you know, UCF this season, we talked about how good their record was at 20 and 11. Um, and we got two seniors who are going to be playing in the postseason for the, for the first time. Zai Lewis. Yep. Uh, and um, uh, and Jocelyn Massey, and it's our chance to send them out with a win. I think it would be great to, for them to, you know, he, uh, if this is their last home game, to to head out with a win against an old rival in Stetson, going back to the old um, A Sundays. Tempo tempo is going to be a key in this game. Stetson likes to push the ball. UCF, you know, th- th- this will be an interesting game. Very uh, dynamic game. Stetson can str- it can stretch you out. With their shooters, uh, like I said, very interesting X's and O's matchup, and uh, between the two teams, and it'll be interesting. They didn't play in the regular season this year; they played last year in the land. Stetson won that game. It'll be interesting to see if maybe we see these two teams play in the regular season in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that, let, let me ask you quick, and this will be a good segue. NIT, obviously, as you mentioned, the women's NIT. By the way, not first time like, UCF women's basketball has been to yep, the WNIT yep. in, in program history. Right. It's the first time they've made uh, the postseason uh, as an at-large in a postseason. Remember, That's all the right. times they made NCAAs because they won the automatic bid in a conference tournament, uh, whether it be Conference USA or the A-Sun. Right. Uh, but this is a new trend here, Jeff, and and, and, and uh, I want to discuss. And, you know, the men's obviously has always had the NIT, which is by, run by the NCAA. The women's NIT in basketball, as you mentioned, is now uh, not run by the NCAA. But this has become the new trend across the board. Uh, we had, uh, and, and for full disclosure, in Tuesday's Iowa State softball broadcast, uh, I was joined by associate coach Jenny Maurer for UCF, and she talked about the big story for the volleyball so far team, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the off season, right, for volleyball, is that volleyball will be having their version of the NIT. Um, not sure yet if that's going to be run, involved with the NCAA or not. It might be similar to what women's basketball is going on with the NIT and then softball this year is also has their version of the NIT. That's not associated necessarily with the NCAA. It's run by triple crown. So we're starting to see all these other sports, Jeff going with the NIT, which uh, uh, format here now. So in softball, for example, there's an NIT in volleyball. looks like there's going to be an NIT, uh, which is fascinating, Jeff, because we, we, we saw the American conference in volleyball. 
Uh, a team like UCF just missed out. Temple, a team we saw just missed out. And now those teams that just missed the NCAA after having a great year winning 20-plus games will have an opportunity at least for postseason. I think the driving force behind that is demand on the part of the coaches. The coaches understand that, you know, there's a certain level of disappointment, obviously, when your season just suddenly abruptly ends, but you still have young players that you want to develop. Coaches want to coach, and they want to get their play. Their, you know, if they're not going to win the national championship, they want as many opportunities to develop young players as they possibly can, uh, given that, op- you know, given the chance. So I think that's why it's it's not so much fan demand isn't you know if we're seeing nit style tournaments sort of second you know second banana tournaments in sports other than basketball and we're seeing actually more you know second and third and in some cases fourth banana tournaments like the cit uh in the men's bat in the men's game it's because there's demand on the part of the coaches they said we'll put up the games um there's also programming you know television programming inventory to be had um and I think that so that's part of it. They can deliver on that and they can. And remember, these sports are relatively inexpensive to put on. It's not like, you know, football, which is an expense, which is a highly expensive sport uh, to put on. You know, softball, you know, volleyball, men's and women's basketball, by comparison, not very expensive to operate. And so if you have that demand by the coaches to, hey, let's let's provide more opportunities for our players to play and get better. That I think is the driving force, and that shows to you, and that shows I think all of us, the power that coaches really do have in uh, college sports these days, particularly um, in basketball and in the Olympic sports as well. What do you think? I agree. I think the big question moving forward, and the key in all this, is going to be the finance side of things. You know, with softball and volleyball, let's focus on those two. You know, because you have to put a bid in to host, for example. You some, mm-hmm. you know, the, it depends on the rules. You got to bid a certain amount to host. You got to bid a certain amount just to be in. And certain, you know, the CBI in basketball, it's very controversial because you got to put money in just to get into the tournament. Um, so there's that's a business why not everyone side. goes who probably can exactly. And there's some teams that will turn down, right? They'll turn down a, a situation. So that's going to be the big yeah. question. Softball and volleyball, if they come with this, is how much are, are you know are, are are the administrations and the universities going to have uh, be able to back up the volleyball program and say, yeah, we're going to spend money for you to host or play in an NIT, same in softball, like they are in basketball. Basketball, as you know, Jeff, has more uh, uh, money that backing, if you will, right? Because well, women's de- basketball, de- you know, that, that's going to be the interesting question uh, well, to it follow. Depends on the, it depends on the amount of investment that you would have to make in order to break even. I mean, there, there are teams that, right. go to, that pay the money to play in the CBI. And the reason why is because they calculate that, hey – if we get one more home game out of this, even though we put up you know X number of dollars, we'll get X plus Y number of dollars out of it. So right. we'll end up making money. That's why they do it um, in, in those tournaments where they have to pay to get in. In the tournaments where they don't have to pay to get in, there's the obvious focus of, you know, let's get our players more playing time. Let's get our players more time to develop. I don't think that's a bad thing, uh, personally. Um, in particular, you know, if you're a coach, you know, and again, this goes back to the power of the coaches. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I mean, some people complain about oversaturation, but the the the, the people who complain about oversaturation are fans who probably aren't going to go to the games anyway. 
Um, I'm not going to complain about well, oversaturation it, it, because it, it, if it, I get to see more basketball, more UCF basketball, more UCF volleyball, more UCF softball, all the better as far as I'm concerned. And here's the, and you know what? Those fans that say that and I've run into those, I feel are hypocrites. You know why? Because those are the same fans that enjoy, oh, we got to make a bowl game. Can I tell right. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between, I don't know, I would say, how many, I don't even know, I've lost track. There's like 40 bowl games now, 41. 40 plus. I, I would argue, I would make the argument that about five of them are the equivalent to an NIT. Tell me why I'm wrong. I mean, they're basically I, I consolation games. I, I can't tell you. I, I for I the think season. you're 100%. There's right. really only a handful of games. So I laugh at people that say, ah, I'm not excited about the NIT or this or that. But yet, you know, you're excited about the X bowl game, blank bowl game. Like, are you kidding me? The Idaho potato bowl. <laughs> right. Get out of here. It's the NIT. All these, like 90% of, 95% of these bowl games are NIT games. Plus, I hate uh, to break would, it to the fans, but it's not for the fans. It's for the players. Well, and, that, and that's a good point you bring up because and because here's the thing, and this is the this is the other reason you didn't bring this up about the coaches and the power. Yes, about you know more game. It's also more practice time. Yeah, you got to get more practice time, more reps. You know, for a young team that can make a difference. You know, we talk a lot about that in football, right? All the 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 really for the football. Let's be honest. I think if you deep down ask the coaches, a lot of these coaches about what these bowl games. It's more about the practice, the 15 practices they oh, get. George between- O'Leary, George O'Leary said that. He flat out said yes. that. He's like, it's important Correct. that we get to bowl. You know, when UCF was trying to become a team that every year had a chance to go to a bowl game, it used to be that a bowl game was a treat for us. And he said, it's important that we get to this and we get into a conference that ha- that where we can go to a bowl game every year because we need the extra practice time. We need the extra two weeks of practice. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think it's the same in basketball. And I think you're seeing the same in softball and volleyball, why they're going in that direction. Because coaches are like, you know, what? I need the more time. You know what? We didn't we weren't good enough to make the NCAA, but let's go into this tournament, get some extra practice time that'll pay off in the following year. Uh, yeah. I think that's where that's another aspect of all this. But for people to suggest, you know, oh, I don't you know the NIT, you know, I'm excited. Well, you're then don't be excited about when your team goes to the Shreveport Independence Bowl or whatever. <laughs> All right, I don't want to hear it because it's the same nonsense. Um, so I find it, I find the hypocrisy hilarious that people think that these bowl games are like this. They're the NIT. Like I said, outside of maybe four bowl games, maybe, and that's being generous. Um, it's the NIT, really, especially now with the playoff system. Really, if you really want to extreme it. I would argue that the playoffs really are the only games that would really are the ones that everybody shoots for. And then if you don't make the playoffs, everybody else is playing in the NIT. Yeah. And I'm glad you made the point about practice because, like we said, you know, people forget there's only a certain number of days, a certain number of contact hours that coaches yes. can have with their players. Yes. And so when yes. you get more of that, that is gravy. That is golden. That's that's how that's how you become a better coach is you get more time to play with your team um, in a situation where you can have them, you know, practice more. Uh, and if that happens to be for the WNIT or the CIT or the CBI or the volleyball in IT, then so be it as far as I'm concerned. That's why oh, the coaches absolutely. want it, and that's why it happens. Absolutely. And, and like I said, I understand, obviously, in football, not everybody can play for the playoff. Let's be honest. The American Conference champion more than likely will never play in the playoff under the current system. So uh, the goal you're shooting for is to make the best possible bowl game, the all-axis and all that, and that's fine. That's good. Uh, and that's the, the level to shoot for. But at the end of the day, 
it's tonight. It's postseason, one way or the other. Doesn't matter. It's December twenty first, January first. They're all postseason, but it's consolation like the NIT is and the NCAA. The difference is the NCAA tournaments. You're playing for a championship. You're trying to get as deep into postseason run, and so uh, it's it's it's. So I, yeah, I agree. I'm all for it. I don't have a problem with it. I I just hope Jeff that the universities, the administrations back softball and volleyball programs, if they're good enough, if they've earned a, an opportunity to make postseason NIT and not turn their back on them because they don't invest the money in those programs like they do in basketball. That's my only concern. I agree. I agree. I think that you're going to see that. I think it's going to look a lot like um, maybe it would look like with the CBI where, you know, certain schools will make that investment, certain ones won't. I think that the administration at UCF is smart enough to realize that, yes, that's going, if, if we can't make it to the NCAA, we get invited to one of these second banana tournaments then th- that is worth its weight in terms of us getting better as a program. So I think you're right about that, and I think that the uh, UCF brass recognizes that uh, as well. And, and once again, it'll be fun to see both the men's and women's basketball teams competing in the NIT. Again, the men on Wednesday night uh, at 7 p.m. against Colorado, women Thursday night uh, 7 o'clock against Stetson. All right, stick around. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back with some baseball and some softball after this. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. You know, Nightline has UCF sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, Facebook and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on. Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Let's talk a little baseball and softball. By the way, before, uh, yeah, before we do that, Andrew and Trace... Good to see you, gentlemen. Good to hear you guys on the promo there. And uh, let's just say this, Jeffrey. Trace brought this up in the last podcast. Football possibility contest between the two of us. I think you agree, right? We've got it. We got them, right? We're going to take them. Yeah, there you go. There you go, Trace. The challenge is on. (laughs) Consider Consider the challenge accepted. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> there we go. So, so folks, you can follow that. Don't forget to follow. By the way, don't forget to follow them at UCF Nightline. Follow us at uh, UCF underscore Banneret. So, uh, quick, let's do uh, let's do baseball real quick. Yeah. Big weekend um, and a big week in general. So, the Knights got pretty much handled by Florida State midweek last week. There was no question that Florida State baseball team is really good. I mean, they are really really good, yeah. and uh, and and they showed it. In those two games, but um, our good friend Brian Murphy, who, like we said, has joined us, he's uh, joined the Banneret. He's going to be writing about baseball, doing what he loves to do. Uh, old friend of ours from his days when he was at the Future, and I was actually working at UCF. Um, Brian uh, wrote a great column that you should all check out about, um, you know, kind of how UCF baseball got exposed against Florida State and what they have to work on in order to get better, but. Then this weekend series of Central Michigan happened, and <laughs> I mean everything just kind of fell together for UCF. They they sweep Central Michigan, 
21 to 1 in the first game. Amazing. Uh, first time in years that, uh, first time I think since 2014 that UCF scored 20 runs in a game. First time since 2010 that they had five home runs in a game. Uh, and the star of this weekend. So so they, they win this game 21 to 1 on Friday. Then they move the Sunday game up to Saturday, and we have a Saturday doubleheader between UCF and Central Michigan. And UCF sweeps the doubleheader. The Knights are 15 and 3. Um, the key with this, they win the they win the doubleheader seven to three and then five to four. Knights kind of you know slogged through that um, second game. I think it was Juan Pimentel actually. Um, uh, actually, let me pull up the box. Yeah, Juan Pimentel got the win. He's four and zero on the young season. Um, got a little close. It was five to three heading into the eighth, and the Knights picked up a couple of insurance runs on a couple of wild pitches, um, and that pushed them out to seven to three. Then. In the uh, second game, which I called play-by-play for uh, on UCFnights.tv, um, UCF trailed Central Michigan 3-2 to two for much of this game. Uh, Central Michigan jumped out 4-2 to two in the sixth. Then the Knights got one back on a home, solo homer by Ryland Thomas in the eighth um, to get within one. And then the big blow was Eli Putnam's walk-off two-run single uh, that scored um, scored two UCF runs uh, in the person of uh, Brooks Morgan and uh, Austin Murphy. And UCF completes the sweep over Central Michigan. And uh, looks like we actually have the sound of that final call here, Eric. Left side, through the hole for a base hit. Murphy comes in to score. Here's the play at the plate, safe the Knights win! Morgan comes in to score, and Eli Putnam with a walk-off two-run single wins the game for the Knights 5-4. to four. Look at you, yeah. look at you, huh? look at you. Not bad. I, felt like, I felt like I, I kind of I vanished there for a second while I was trying to get my bearings. <laughs> I, I've, I've had better ones, I've had better ones. By the way, I went back and looked at the, um, looked at the archives. And uh, that was the first UCF baseball walk-off that I called since 2005 when Drew Butera hit a walk-off homer in extra innings against Jacksonville. And I called that game. So uh, not bad bookends considering that Drew Butera is still playing. <laughs> and he actually, yeah. uh, he actually he was on the Italian national team in the World Baseball Classic that I think just got eliminated. But... Um, <clears throat> but that was another nice little note, Drew Butera, with uh, Italy in the World Baseball Classic this year. But what a way for UCF baseball to uh, to have this weekend. And I, the big story here, I got to get this out. Big story here was Ryland Thomas, who had a tremendous weekend, um, both hitting and pitching. Hitting, he was 7 for 11. He had 12 RBIs, uh, four home runs, um, is a national player of the year uh, or national player of the week candidate for his efforts. Uh, and uh, I mean, he had seven RBIs in the one game against central Michigan. Yeah, he then, got robbed. He got, he got robbed by the way for conference player of the week. I mean, I can't, I don't understand he's... how you don't win conference player of the week with a performance like that. And, yeah. and the other, and the other thing to cap it all off, the, the, the walk off gave him his first career pitching win because he was the pitcher of record uh, at the time. He came in, pitched. Uh, uh, I've got the box score um, right here. He pitched uh, one inning of relief, 
in the ninth, shut down Central Michigan in the ninth, and and got the and got the win. He was the pitcher in the ninth. It was his first career pitching win. So he gets a pitching win. He gets twelve RBIs, four home runs, seven of eleven at the plate. Somehow he doesn't win conference player of the week. How? I don't know. I, I Can't don't figure get, it out. I don't get that at all. But anyway, um, fifteen and three UCF. We we thought we thought that you know, hey, how do you don't let Florida State you let Florida State beat you twice. Don't let them beat you three times, and uh, they didn't. This is a much more relaxed. I, what do you think about this? Is the, this is where the, I think that much more relaxed approach of Greg oh, Lovelady no really paid off, didn't it? Because they were a loose it, team and they were ready to play against Central Michigan. Whereas maybe maybe this could have turned into a four or five game slide uh, uh, under another regime. Maybe uh, I think that's no question about that. And you know, you haven't even mentioned the fact they beat Bradley twelve to that's nine right. on Tuesday night. <laughs> yeah, that, that was tonight. We're recording this on Tuesday night. They did defeat Bradley twelve to nine. Sorry uh, about that. The reasons why this is a late edition, the late night edition. There, that was a wild game, and they found a way to win that game. And, and to the Murphy story, by the way, Lovelady said that himself. He felt he got exposed a little bit in the FSU game, so it's not like Murph was calling out the team or anything. I mean, it was just kind of honest. What Lovelady said, we're kind of preaching there. Um, but they learned from it. They bounced back. As you mentioned, they won. They found ways to win. They found a way to win the game you called. And uh, that's the good side is they're finding ways to win, and that's what marks a good team. Um, you know, they battled a Bradley team that's pretty good out of the Missouri, uh, uh, you know, Valley up there. Or, uh, up there. And they, uh, Thomas was, had another two-run single in that game, by the way. Yeah. So it's a good win for them. Now they got to play Jacksonville in that unique weekend series where they're going to host them on Friday and then go to Jacksonville for two uh, over the weekend. So that'll be interesting how that plays out. I think it was the opposite last year where UCF hosted for two and then Jack went to Jacksonville for one. But uh, look, hope they can build that momentum and build the confidence prior to a conference. I mean, conference starts uh, at the end of the month. So it's about learning. And how about Tucker, the closer? I mean, that kid shutting down the closing the door in the Bradley game. Uh, he was pretty good to because because uh, you know yeah. Bradley was Bradley was knocking on the door. They scored. Uh, I think they were down twelve to three at one. point. They were down big. And it was a wild storming, game. And came storming back. Um, was it twelve to? No, they were down twelve to. Four. It was twelve to four. One point. 12 to four, yeah, and they cut it to twelve nine with five in the seventh. Wow. Um, but yeah, Bryce Tucker once his fifth save of the year uh, actually shut He's him. He's been down. tremendous. Been tremendous. I'm glad we mentioned him because uh, I think that's one of the big things about him too, and that's one of the things Lovelady has done. He's got guys with specific with roles, and I think everybody's comfortable. Mm-hmm. To your point, whereas maybe in the past they weren't comfortable because they didn't know their role on a given day. So, by the way, I midweek think, game uh, he used six pitchers. Yeah, you know, and well, well, that's become the trend now in baseball, college baseball, a little bit more and more. We see that now where guys are using multiple pitchers, get them some work in that midweek, and get them ready for uh, in certain situations for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. But I think the fact that he's doing it um, and really relying on his bullpen, it's become a team effort instead of you know throwing and his arms huge. out. I think that's that's going to make a big difference for UCF down the stretch. No, you're right because I, that's been the, one of the criticisms with uh, Terry in the last few years. Terry Rooney was that uh, they would only use maybe two, three arms he trusted in the bullpen. And I think what Love Lady is telling you here is he's he's trusting everybody and he's telling the players it's on you because I trust you, you know. It's on you to make the make it happen, and the players to this point, anyway, have uh, certainly stepped up, and I think that gives them confidence going in. Speaking of stepping up, let's go over to UCF softball. Uh, Jasmine Esparza was the story tonight. Doubleheader against Iowa State. We're recording this Tuesday night. 
Uh, doubleheader against Iowa State. We, we both were there. Um, yep. The Knights come up short in game one against Iowa State, 5-3. to three, And I, what I thought was a winnable game, the Knights were actually leading 3 to nothing, but then Iowa State scored 5 in the 6th. Um, but in the second game of the doubleheader, UCF run-ruled Iowa State 11-3 to three, uh, by knocking in uh, eight runs in the final three innings. Uh, Jasmine Esparza was, I thought, the star of, this, of, of the second game. She was three for four, two RBIs. Um, she was hitting the tar out of the ball uh, also uh, for UCF. And they survived this midweek sort of doubleheader. Uh, Demara Bejean gets the win in game number two. Um, her first career win. First Congrats career win. Wasn't really expecting to see very much of her at all this season, but she's had to step in with the, you know, the, you know, Coach Gillespie just needs arms at this point. And uh, Cameron Tony, who I thought pitched pretty well in that first game, um, ends up taking the loss in game one. It's kind of a hard luck uh, situation. I don't think the defense really backed her up, you know, all that. All didn't that help her out, her. but she also didn't help her out. Five walks didn't help either. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, that's true. Give up the five spot in the sixth inning that kind of did him in. One bad inning. I mean, you're right. One half bad, half inning away from a sweep doubleheader. That's really the name of the game. But they bounce back, and I think that's the good sign from this yes. young team. Remember, there's nine freshmen on this roster, seven true freshmen. They've all had and action this year. They're playing. They're all it's playing. the pitchers right? and, and also the position yep. players, too. And, and the big thing there was, you know, I, and I go back to the weekend, for example. They, they got beaten up by Ohio State, a game you called. They found that you know they bounced back against Delaware State. They were down three to one in the sixth inning. They exploded for ten runs to win that game eleven to three on a walk off. Mm-hmm. You got to call that one. Yep. The following day, they were you know there was back and forth a tremendous softball game against Georgia, ranked sixteenth in the country. The Knights take come back from a three nothing deficit to take the lead, cough up the lead in the top of the seventh, lose the game by one. You're thinking, oh boy, they're just it's gonna it's gonna ruin their weekend. But they bounced back thirty minutes later and beat Mercer. Then beat them again on Sunday. So what the, what it's told me is after tough losses, this team is resilient. They're able to bounce back, and I think that's the the, the good thing about this team. It's very young because you never know with the young teams, Jeff. You know sometimes a tough loss or two it could tailspin to a long losing streak. And this group has battled back, and they've been able to put bad things behind them. And, uh, and I think that's what you've seen here from this ball club. And again, today tonight uh, the Iowa State game, the doubleheader was a great example. You lose a tough one in that first game. You just wonder, and how about, you know, Demera, freshman, her second career start? You call her first career start. Yeah. And the kid goes a career high six innings, gets a win, her first career win. Always great to see. Uh, And, and, you know, with young people and get more confidence. And you're right, Esparza was fantastic in the Iowa State game. I think you're going to see her more in the lineup in the coming games. And uh, it's a big, you know, it's a good way to win it because you look at the stretch now. This is a tough stretch UCF's got now. This weekend, they host number 14-ranked Baylor mm-hmm. for three single game. This is old school. This is like baseball style. You got single game on Friday, 6 o'clock, Saturday game, and then Sunday, single games. And, uh, and then after that, on the 22nd, number one-ranked Florida State comes in before conference gets going against oh. Houston on the 24th. So what a stretch, a, man. This is – it's a big four-game stretch, and um, 
you know, I think that's, you know, the, the good news is keep in mind, this team has already played a bunch of teams in the top 25. Kentucky's ranked 17th. They played them in the opening weekend of the year. You saw them. They played James Madison, who was ranked 12th. They played at Alabama, who's ranked 11th. They're twice at Alabama. They played UCLA up in California. So they're they're used to playing top 25 teams, but this is a big four-game stretch right before conference starts against Houston at home on Friday the 24th. So opportunities to, you know, get some maybe try to find that signature win non-conference prior to conference and, and really get yourself ready for conference and go after the, the championship because that's really one of the goals. When you play a tough schedule, the goal is to, you know, learn, you know, kind of get better and get ready for conference. And I think that's the challenge for this young team. As you mentioned, now with DeMera in the mix, throwing some quality innings as a freshman with Tony, and then you got Aaliyah White we haven't mentioned uh, you know, to young staff that's going through this for the first time. And so that they're, you know, there's always going to be ups and downs, but I think the thing is they're learning in each day and you hope they get better uh, by conference time. 14 and 10 overall is UCF softball. Lopez, when they're heading into this um, real quick, when they're heading into this, this stretch with mm-hmm. Baylor and Florida straight in Florida state, this four game stretch before conference play starts, do you think they're where they thought they would be? Or did you think that the team looks at this and says, man, Ah, that one Iowa State game, darn it, we should have won that one. The Georgia game, we should have won. Um, you know, we kind of we kind of ran ourselves out of the Ohio State game. Do you think they look at that and they say, you know, if we play our best, we're capable of doing even better things down the stretch? Absolutely, yeah. I think internally, that's what they yes, they should they could be with a. You mentioned a, a pit, you know, one a, a bat here or there. They could be sixteen and eight, seventeen and seven. So I think internally, that's how they look at it from the outside and, and for people. From the outside, I think for myself, I, I look when you have nine freshmen, seven true freshmen. I don't know if you what to expect, especially basically it's a new pitching staff. You lost an All-American pitcher, the all-time winningest pitcher in the history of you the lost program. Two All-American pitchers. <laughs> yeah, well, McKenzie was two, two years. years ago, right? And then still, Shelby you know, last year, right? There, there's mean, a hangover effect to that, and and we, well, that's a lot of the focus. But let's talk about the offense. You lost an American Conference Player of the Year in Jessica Yavari, who was your cleanup hitter uh, in 2015, was the Player of the Year, and she's been your cleanup hitter for the last three years, if not number three hitter or number four hitter. Samantha McClowski was a power hitter in the middle of the lineup. Mm-hmm. So you lost her to graduation. You lost 10 seniors total. So not only you got to rebuild the new pitching staff, but you got to figure out and build a, li- a young lineup. And so um, it's, 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 you know, you, and, and you know this with young freshmen, you can't just. You can't expect them to just kind of hit it off the, you know, the first day. There's going to be some growing process that has to go on. You know, you're a father now. Your son Connor. I'm sure there's days that <laughs> Connor gets up and he's ready to go and he's behaving well. And you're like, wow, he's tremendous. And then the next day, he kind of, you know, he doesn't want to eat dinner and he's messing a mess, making a mess of his shirt. And you're like, oh my good, when is this kid going to figure it out? But that's how <laughs> they are. Everybody's young, you know. It's ups and downs. And uh, so I, you know. You see the potential. You saw the potential, for example, in Jasmine Esparza. You mentioned uh, some of the other freshmen there. Uh, they are capable of, obviously. They should have. They, they were right there against Georgia. They, they, it was a, they, they could have won that game. They could have beaten Alabama in Alabama. Could have beaten UCLA. So they're right there knocking on the door. And you feel like, Jeff, if they can get over, you know, and, and I've seen this with teams, if they can get that breakthrough win, that's the kind of win that could just take off the rest of the way. Yeah. Uh, and then I think that's what they're going to be searching for in the next four games with Baylor coming in here for three, and then obviously number one ranked Florida State uh, on uh, the 22nd. Yeah. 
couple. Uh, I, I, I'm actually looking forward to the stretch because we're really going to see. I think that they're going to come out guns blazing against against Baylor. At least I hope so. I hope they kind of play with, like they literally have nothing left to lose. And um, you know, and then you you play well. You 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 play up to your potential in that in those four games against Baylor and then Florida State, and then who knows what happens in conference play. So. Uh, next game up will be again. That's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Baylor. Make sure you're coming out to the softball complex because that's worth um, checking out. A couple of th- uh, news and notes that I wanted to wrap up with here before we uh, before we head out, Eric. Uh, women's golf, third place at the SunTrust Gator Women's Invitational over the weekend. T- they're ranked 25th in the country. Uh, how about Emily Marin, the head coach of UCF? Uh, she has got a hell of a team. This year uh, at this uh, event, uh, Ashley Holder finished tied for fourth. Maria Balcazar finished sixth. Uh, Johanna Larson finished tied for ninth. So you had three UCF golfers finish in the top 10 uh, in this uh, in this event. As UCF finished in third. Um, job well done by UCF Women's Golf and the uh, Gator invite. They have. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Emily. Emily's great. Uh, we're going to see. Uh, things really heat up for them later in the month. They have one more tournament before the conference championship. They have the Bryan National in Greensboro, North Carolina, uh, March 31st through April 2nd. And then April 16th is the American Championships down in, uh, or up in Palm Coast, which is basically a home tournament for UCF, which is kind of cool. And then uh, another note from uh, the NCAA Indoor Championships, Anne-Marie Blaney, who uh, is has emerged as a star for UCF track and field, indoor and outdoor. Uh, she turned in an All-American performance, um, a school record time of 1549.26 in the 5K, uh, and, uh, and she is uh, and, and she's an, an All-American. And uh, that is a tremendous honor. You know, Anne-Marie has done, uh, has done wonders for UCF this year um, in her performances in the distance events. And it's going to continue, uh, I think, for head coach Jeanette Bolden. Um, you know, in particular, I think that's going to be um, – I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens in the outdoor season now because now we're going to start seeing the, di- the slightly longer distance uh, sprints uh, and those kinds of things. But she's uh, but Emory Blaney is going to be um, – I think a real force to be reckoned with in the American conference when we get through the, uh, outdoor, uh, season as well. So women's sports, man, I tell you, I love this. I, I love it when, when, when women's sports do well for UCF because it proves, you know, how all around we are as an athletic program, doesn't it? Really does. Uh, they've been certainly carrying their weight for a long time. The track and field back on rolling softball's had great success. Volleyball's had success. Uh, it's tremendous. So uh, tremendous feat there. And uh, the other thing I've learned, if you got Megan as your SID at UCF, you're probably going to win because every yeah. team just said where the SIDs win. So. Megan Herbeck, <laughs> yeah. Credit, props to Megan. Props to Megan. She's the good luck charm. One other note, yeah. I, wanted to, one other note I wanted to finish up with. Uh, for UCF Women's Track and Field, they are hosting the Black and Gold Challenge Autism Awareness Walk March the 18th. And uh, that is Friday, if I'm not mistaken, 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th. No, that's Saturday. Sorry about that. So Saturday, March the 18th uh, at 11 a.m. at Iowa Plaza. Um, 
at the track. The Autism Awareness Walk will begin at 1 p.m., um, and then the track meet begins an hour after that. So it's a big event for UCF, March the 18th, uh, in conjunction with the, uh, with the Black and Gold Challenge, which is the uh, only outdoor track meet uh, at UCF this season. Um, but it will culminate uh, with, or, or it will actually kick off with this Autism Awareness Walk, March the 18th. Um, and, it's, and that's a great cause because it's something that's really close um, to Jeanette Bolden's heart, and I know that she's looking to, to see a lot of fans out there. So if you get the chance, come on out to that on Saturday uh, for the uh, Black and Gold uh, Challenge uh, Autism Awareness Walk. Again, that's eleven starting at 11 a.m. Uh, on Saturday, March the 18th. So uh, good to see that going for a good cause uh, for our first soccer, or excuse me, our first track and field meet um, of the season at UCF. So, all right, what do you got going on this week, Eric? Got softball, softball, and more softball. Uh, <laughs> Baylor, big one, UCF and Baylor. Baylor ranked 14th in the country, really good. They're playing their best softball right now. They've beaten like four ranked teams in the last week or two, so it'll be a good challenge. Uh, very good team in Baylor. Little Fiesta Bowl rematch. I like to call it the Fiesta Series, yeah. right? A little, yeah, a little flashback. Uh, Hopefully we'll Fiesta put 52 Bowl. runs on him in one game. Wow, wow. <laughs> that, that would be a story. Can we get Blake out here? Um, yeah, so that should be fun. Six o'clock Friday night, uh, two o'clock Saturday, and then the third game on Sunday. Catch it on UCF Knights TV, but we certainly encourage you to come out yeah. and watch the game and uh, big series. So that's that that'll obviously be occupied by me. Uh, but I, and I, and somehow and somewhere in between, I'll be also covering the NCAA tournament for uh, 1080. So big week. We got we got we got number 14 Baylor coming to town for softball Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We got the baseball series Friday, Jacksonville, Friday night. Uh, we got uh, men's basketball Wednesday night in the NIT. We got women's basketball Thursday night in the WNIT. Um, it's just a, an embarrassment of riches for UCF sports this week. So I know you'll be watching it closely, and obviously uh, there for softball, I'll be watching it closely too as well. So, all right, Eric, I think we've got, uh, I think we've got everything covered for this point. <laughs> but here we go, That's man. Right. This, is the, this, is the, this is the spring equinox. Here we go. I love it. Yeah, we didn't even basketball, baseball, softball. Oh my gosh, my favorite time of year. I mean, hell, we didn't even. Just, I mean, it's a monster week in Orlando too. I mean, obviously you mentioned the NCAA tournaments going mm-hmm. on. Orlando City's got a home game. I mean, it's uh, and the best thing is the Magic are out on the West Coast, so we the, we, we actually don't. Well, the best basketball like it's been the last three months will be played at the CFE Arena. And then uh, probably the best basketball of 2017 will be played at CFE Arena this weekend, or probably uh, either at CFE Arena or at the Amway Center this weekend. That's right. That's it. That's what we've got. (laughs) All right, brother. So don't forget, you can uh, follow Eric Lopez on Twitter at Eric Lopez Elo. You can follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. You can follow us at at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter. Also look up the Black and Gold Banneret on Facebook. Go to blackandgoldbanneret.com where you can check out all kinds of uh, fun stuff, including this podcast and Brian Murphy's uh, baseball coverage as well. You can also uh, uh, subscribe to this podcast if you don't already on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and tune in. Make sure on iTunes, if you haven't yet, leave us a rating. Tell us how we're doing. And also, don't forget to reach out to us any way that you can uh, with whatever it is that you may have. If you want to, uh, by the way, if you, we're hoping, we're trying to think about what we're going to be doing over the summer as well. So, if you have any ideas of people who you want to talk, who, who you'd want to hear from, people who we should talk to uh, for extended interviews for the show during the summer when you know, let's face it, no sports are happening. 
Um, we're more than all ears on that. So make sure you reach out to us on our Facebook page. Just search Black and Gold Banneret uh, on Facebook. So for Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thank you so much for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week. Go Knights in the NIT.